if you take a profession seriously, how do you systematically in an organized way learn your profession? And we learn best by playing. It's active learning versus passive learning. This is The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. For this episode, Matt and I are back at Fight Night, a get-together of wargamers and wargaming, hosted by USA Fight Club and CAE Inc. Wargames can allow you to inhabit that future space in a meaningful, embodied, contextualized way. While there, we interviewed the game designers and players to better understand what makes a great war game and why they're important to the Army. It allows us to explore the human dimension of a problem. We don't necessarily spend the time to think about how people perceive, understand, make sense of the world around us, and how that influences our ability to accomplish our objectives. Let's step into the ring and meet some of the participants. My name is Jason Goodfriend. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of CAE Defense and Security. 20 years ago, I was a uh, 22-year-old Army Intelligence Officer in uh, Würzburg, Germany, uh, doing uh, very similar wargaming to this in a basement of a uh, not-too-renovated World War II facility uh, on acetate using uh, icons and and COFAMs to look at uh, divisional, uh, brigade and battalion level ground activity in Western Europe believe it or not. So uh, this brings me back quite a bit uh, to what I used to do back then. I'm Don Carlucci. I'm the Army ST for Computational Structural Modeling. I've been playing these things since I was 12 years old. So uh, I guess I've been doing it since before I was even an engineer. When Wargaming started to become big, we realized that, that we could use the stuff I had learned as a as a child and some of the games I used as a child translate exactly into what our engineering needs are at Armament Center. So it just naturally rolled into the modeling aspect of things because after all, the wargaming that we're doing is a form of modeling. I'm Andrew Olson. Uh, I'm a designer over at the Center for Naval Analysis. Uh, I originally got into wargaming combination of factors. So I was a hobby gamer kind of growing up. Um, I did a AI class with Yuna Wong, who's a designer over at uh, IDA, Institute for Defense Analysis. And she introduced me to kind of professional wargaming overall. Did an internship with the State Department. Uh, Robert, who's over there, and he helped me design a kind of matrix game while I was doing that and kind of got the bug. Um, took Sebastian Bay's class at Georgetown University. Uh, it was kind of war game design. Designed a game on uh, AI competition with China. Um, there as a student project and then eventually got hired uh, at CNA where I work now. My name is Manu. I am a master's student at the Institute of World Politics out here at DuPont Circle nearby. I'm a master's candidate for national security affairs with a subset in intelligence. And when we say intelligence, I actually was cyber originally. I did my undergrad at a military college at Virginia Military Institute, graduated of 2014. Um, I then served seven years in National Guard Cyber with the 91st Cyber Brigade. And in that experience, I did a range of data center work, vulnerability assessment work. And then as far as wargaming experience was concerned, VMI had unofficial wargames going on, both in a physical capacity and an intellectual capacity. And then um, also doing it in the hobby scene and then just here, there, and everywhere. I'd also done time in places like Booz Allen where they had wargaming capabilities. So I was exposed to the professional side. My name is uh, Ben Schechter. Uh, I am a senior wargame analyst at Systems and Planning Analysis, SPA. 
At SPA, I work primarily designing war games that answer hard technical problems on behalf of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering. So in my current role, I look a lot at uh, future technology and uh, I'm trying to understand sort of the threat landscape that it will be operating in uh, and trying to understand sort of a way to uh, help scope those problems, frame those problems, bridge the operational and sort of technical communities, uh, and really try to bring some clarity to some of these tough problems. I've always had a hobby interest in wargaming. I think that's a common thread through most people we'll talk to. But I was really introduced as wargaming as a discipline from a strongly academic perspective. There are many reasons to play wargames, from strategy to education to leader development and even to entertainment. Wargames attract a wide variety of players from a wide variety of backgrounds. But why do we play these games? And why is it important to national security? Well, it, it really makes you understand what uh, the uses of some of the equipment we work on are. So often we found at Armin Center that some of the engineers are very focused on designing that kinetic energy rod to feed a certain target, but they miss the big picture of how it's utilized, what its presence on the battlefield really means, and, and what they find is that it's a part of a greater whole, and they get to see how all the systems interact with one another. And it sort of gets people out of their shell when they realize that, hey, I could do things a little bit better and, and, and have things harmonize with this other system if I just do things a little differently. So it's really been a huge uh, advantage in, in that way. War games, particularly like educational or, or hobby games, are important for um, practicing decision making and kind of confined, contextualized space. Um, allows you to kind of get that sets and reps um, for the challenge of ambiguity, the challenge of decision making, of thinking strategically. Um, and I think it's also a very useful educational tool to familiarize folks with um, a concept that either they're trying to cross train or you're a new lieutenant trying to you know, think about uh, emissions control on, on a carrier. Um, there's something really impactful about playing through, making decisions, feeling the consequences of those decisions. They give a safe place to fail for people to practice decision making, right? Uh, and to get familiar with topics that they might otherwise not be familiar with. And, you know, we don't want the first time someone's faced with a certain choice to be when they're out in the field and or, you know, in a live fire situation. And so um, this allows you to do that. Um, and so I really love programs over at like NDU or at Marine Corps University or CGSC that are leveraging games to uh, help teach students and, uh, and give them that learning experience. I think on the analytical sense, right, Wargaming is a tool um, in in the toolkit of the DoD to help us explore those fuzzy problems, right? And particularly one of the reasons I got into wargaming is it's a useful tool to systematically think about a plausible future, a possible future, right? Wargames don't predict, but they can allow you to explore one timeline. And in a world, right, where climate change is going to affect, you know, shift some a lot of fundamental characteristics. Um, technologies lead to the acceleration of dynamics. Um, war games can allow you to inhabit that future space in a meaningful, embodied, contextualized way um, that can both drive research and is also a tool to help us think about a rapidly changing future um, and all the consequences and all the different dynamics of that better. I play war games because I know I can experience through games approximations of lives and careers that life physically will not let me experience nearly as quickly. You can go through a thousand permutations in a war game with no stakes before you go out and make a real world mistake, right? And so 
while mistakes will always be made, you can't avoid that, you can learn some lessons ahead of time. And I play those war games not only just for pleasure, because I enjoy experimenting with ideas and exploring possibilities and alternate what-ifs. I also look at it in the very serious sense of, hey, if you take a profession seriously, how do you systematically, in an organized way, in a disciplined way, learn your profession? And we learn best by playing and interacting with the thing as opposed to just taking in a lecture and being passive about it. It's active learning versus passive learning. Everything that stuck was a matter of experience, not a matter of rote memorization. I can rote memorize all, all darn day and check the box. It doesn't matter if it doesn't mean anything. And through play, it gives meaning. You feel it. You experienced it. You made the mistake. Well, why does that mistake matter? Oftentimes, wargaming operates in the same sort of uh, analytic space as modeling and simulation and some other approaches. And I'm specifically talking about wargaming as an analytic tool. Um, wargaming has a lot of advantages as an educational uh, tool as well. Like It's very powerful because it's liminality, uh, it's sort of immersiveness for helping people understand problems, things like that. But specifically looking at wargames as an analytic tool, I think what makes it unique is that it allows us to explore the human dimension of a problem. Uh, we oftentimes try to find technological or process solutions to everything. And I, you know, there are oftentimes that's a very viable and very good approach. But we don't necessarily spend the time to think about how humans and people perceive, understand, make sense of the world around us and how that influences our ability to accomplish our objectives or goals. It might be how we plan to use a new technology. It might be our plans to do a new concept for warfighting. But ultimately, that sort of unpredictable human dimension is hard to capture in almost any other methodology. And sometimes you need that to understand that human dimension before you can even get to the modeling and simulation component, right? And the value that comes from that is it is that immersive, very tactile experience of a war game that does that. It allows you to sort of step outside of yourself to think about a problem, um, ideally, uh, to begin capturing that human perspective. War games come in many different variations, with design often influenced by factors including requirements and capabilities. Throughout the design process, game designers must think about game mechanics, objectives, and validity to ensure the war game fits the need. War games are helpful to get at the problems that are ambiguous, right? When you're, um, it helps you feel out a space um, where an, another tool isn't sufficient. It's not a good fit for modeling and simulations. It's not quite the right fit for just pure analysis. The uh, Peter Perla uh, talks about the kind of cycle of analysis, right? Uh, exercises and research and war games all feeding into each other that exercises produce data for research. Uh, research can inform the kind of questions we ask in war games and we just can further refine the things that we should exercise in short research. Um, and so war games are another tool in the toolkit to improve decision-making, improve research, and improve warfighting effectiveness. When we started doing this, the International Crisis War Game was one of my first substantial projects. And we approached that from a primarily academic approach, which is to say, 
we are looking to answer a specific question. Oftentimes that question is derived from academic literature, and as part of that preparation process, we generate very clear hypotheses drawn from literature. So we were designed a war game looking at nuclear escalation and nuclear crisis stability, and there's a huge body of literature on nuclear crises and nuclear stability. And so we had a lot to draw from doing that. But what it means is that a lot of the work we do, a lot of the work I try to do, is shaped and constrained by sort of the academic environment and questions we're trying to answer. I think that's fairly universal. You know, you can't design a war game unless you know what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. But oftentimes that is a, can be a fairly nebulous process depending on your customer and your environment. In this case, at least for the game that we are playing here today, the customer was sort of the academic community. Uh, and so it was designed to produce a, a game and to produce analysis that would be viable and uh, valid for academic use. To that end, uh, and what that means is as you go through this design process from beginning to end, you're constantly trying to ensure that the game that you develop is both meeting all the requirements of being a war game and is engaging and has all the requirements that you need for that, but is also maintaining the sort of internal and external validity that you need for basically any other uh, social science or scientific approach or problem. It means that sometimes you have to make some design choices that would potentially diminish some of the player experience to ensure that you're not biasing or introducing new variables into the analysis that you're producing. For the design process, you begin with a hypothesis and then you start designing it essentially as an experiment, uh, walking through what exactly are you trying to test, what are you trying to look at, and trying to control for that. So you can get at that one component of the game while still maintaining sort of the framework and the realism that makes war games such a powerful tool. The neat thing about what we've done was we, we can actually incorporate engineering physics into what we have, albeit at a um, unclassified distribution A level. So if, if there's a particular vehicle we're interested in, in using as a threat, we just put that in there based on the understanding we currently have of the vehicle. Or if there's a future vehicle that we're interested in, let's say you had a, 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 an adversary vehicle and you want to make it 20% better or with thicker armor or whatever, you could do that easily. It's just a simple about 10 minutes of a change in, in some calculated number and, and bingo, it's incorporated. The real beauty of it is that you can look at excursions where the guesswork is a minimum. So for example, if, if I have a high explosive round and I want to replace the fill with a, a new explosive, if I know the properties of that new explosive, even if they can't be achieved, say I can think about uh, properties, I want to make it some about better. We can put that in the game and see what the effect is. And if the juice isn't worth the squeeze, then we don't need to pursue it. That's really the beauty of these things. They're, they're extremely inexpensive and you can make these changes or perceive changes really quickly. Your usual sort of scenario, road to war type things um, are all designed to answer this sort of very clear academic question that we have, but also to not introduce too much external bias, right? We want to understand how the thing, the variables we're interested in influence the decisions without, for example, creating a situation that replicates, uh, you know, say a China-Taiwan crisis that will then bias players to respond to that crisis in the way they would to that one. And so that's part of that sort of validity challenge you have to maintain. At the same time, you don't want to make it so abstract that players look at it and are like, this is so undetached from reality, I can't even begin to get into it. Right? You lose the liminality, you lose the immersiveness that uh, 
was discussed earlier. But if I'm designing a war game, for example, looking at research and engineering problems that right R and E, because we want to make the results from that game useful, right? We want to make sure that the results and outcomes are um, consistent with the requirements and needs of the organization. We often try to make sure that scenarios that we adopt and we integrate into the game are those same scenarios that. Uh, non-war gamers are familiar with and have experience with. So that when the results come out from the game, they can see very clearly how the results in the game tie to the scenarios and the plans that they might have. Wargaming is just one tool that can be beneficial when it comes to decision-making. There are many ways for warfighters to prepare and train, including large-scale field exercises and classroom-based learning. So what makes wargaming stand out versus these other methods? It's much cheaper to have you sit down and play a game of littoral commander than fire off all the high Mars that are involved in like Balgatan. You know, so that is speed, cost. There is verse just classroom learning, right? People talk about the magic circle, but effectively, you know, losing a carrier in a game uh, feels different than being told that, hey, this is in the weapons engagement range and now, you know, it's likely sunk. That That kind of... Uh, human experience of making a decision, seeing the consequence is a different kind of learning. It's therefore can be a, a dangerous tool because uh, if you're not used carefully, it can lead to mislearning. If the design's not great, if it's not contextualized, etc. But the reason, one of the reasons that I really love games as a teaching tool is it allows you to safely make a decision, feel the consequence of that, and then we can have a discussion about what learning, why that happened in a way that's more memorable, more human, more embodied. So Wargaming versus NFTX versus a lecture. Many of the other ways that we traditionally learn are scripted. We will go through the motions. We will check these boxes. You will do the right thing. I went through army basic training. We we drilled a basic flanking maneuver, right? And we just rehearsed it over and over and over again. What Wargaming provides is that once you have the rules, you are now given the freedom to implement them as you see fit. Only in the wargaming context, I have noticed, is critical thinking actively exercised. We always say, you should always learn how to critically think. Well, critical thinking is a proactive, independent thing, and wargaming as a medium is the one way where you can not only work through that in real time as a person, you're competing against someone. If you guys are in sports, I do fencing, I've done martial arts. You know, it's one thing to talk about how to do a thing. It's entirely another to get punched in the face and then being asked to do the thing. So you're also dealing with your emotions. You're dealing with, you know, if it's a physical war game, your physical fitness, right? There are just certain aspects to learning that war gaming is the only medium that actually allows us to capture it. And it's the one way that I'm aware of, at least, that you can capture those stakes without the stakes being for real with actual consequences. You know, our egos always get checked. You know, our, our egos, if you're a very prideful individual, like you're going to get a sore ego if you lose. Well, in the real world, no one actually got killed, but your ego might be bruised. But guess what? You're going to remember that. And if you're going to remember that, well, then you'll be ready for when you have to do it for real. The reason that we use uh, or have the opportunity to use war games for these academic questions is that it provides a very unique method for generating sort of synthetic data to answer questions that lack data or lack real-world uh, examples to work off of. I think a strong example, again, circling back to the nuclear example, is we have not had, as it turns out, and thankfully, uh, a whole lot of nuclear weapons use, at least sort of directly at an adversary. And so to understand some of the dynamics in play, 
Wargaming offers for an opportunity to do that. I know that uh, as a general rule, we say war games aren't predictive, but the hope is that by designing them in sort of very specific and very controlled ways, we have the ability to learn more and potentially test hypotheses about how the world might work, how decisions are made, and how human behavior influences the outcomes of certain relevant situations. The concept of wargaming has been used for hundreds of years. Over time, technology has significantly changed the way wargames are designed and played, becoming more immersive and dispersed with an infusion of artificial intelligence and dynamic on-demand data. That really is the biggest difference, I think, is, is the use of technology. Uh, not only from a, from a gameplay perspective, uh, where you can move faster, but I think uh, the information that's enabling it. Everything from uh, real-time data, real logistical data uh, that's stored out of the cloud, to AI-enabled activity, which is what we're moving to. That technology is evolving every single day. Uh, I think the other major part is the ability not to all be in the same room. The ability to link gaming together through all five domains. The interplay today of air, naval, ground uh, activity with cyber and space activity is the future of the fight. You can argue it's been in, we've been in the fight for a long time, especially in the traditional way. But I think as these technologies tend to develop, uh, the war game has to develop. Um, I think you're seeing that uh, across battlefields, uh, even in this day, and for the U.S. especially to keep its dominance in these areas, that uh, that gaming capability remains, I think, absolutely critical. But in an increasingly systems-to-systems environment, the capability to understand the complex human dynamic remains integral to how war games are conducted and why they truly matter. Ultimately, it allows us to understand how people engage with whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. I think, you know, in an age of AI and increasingly advanced systems of systems, we sometimes lose touch with, ultimately, there's a, we're, there are war fighters in the equation, and their ability to make sense of whatever's coming out, to use capabilities, and to understand how it can be used as part of the fight is extremely important. And similarly, the adversary is, you know, they're human as well. And they look at and will understand our actions in different ways. And we sometimes look at adversary capabilities as, you know, a compilation of ranges, impacts, in terms of purely the technical capabilities, not necessarily thinking through the human dimension of how they'll perceive things, how they'll respond to new things specifically, and how we can potentially manage that. For military decision-making, Wargaming continues to be a popular and dependable tool, providing a safe environment to play out scenarios and practice tactics, techniques, and procedures. A thoughtful design process enhances the Wargame's effectiveness and validity, while ensuring the player's experience is as impactful as possible. Follow The Convergence and the Army Mad Scientist Initiative as we continue to explore this topic, how it evolves, and the ever-changing operational environment.